right, so another Christmas hymn for us. And uh, I'll be doing another Christmas hymn next week, and then we'll be off of Christmas for a while. I might throw a Christmas one in there every once in a while, maybe. So, uh, But today we're going to do O Little Town of Bethlehem. Uh, so I think Christmas hymns are special. I like them. Uh, I, I sing Christmas songs throughout the entire year. I don't wait for Christmas. In the middle of summer, I sing Christmas songs. Uh, but I, I like them because they force us to think about the moment uh, when Jesus came to earth as a baby and how special that time was. Uh, this hymn will do that, but it will also help us think about the town that Jesus came to and the people that were there the night that Jesus came to the earth. Uh, we'll again look at the spiritual truths of this hymn, um, but we'll also look at the historical background of the hymn itself and of its writer and the uh, composer of the music as well. So if you can, turn to uh, hymn number 117 in your hymnal, and we'll look at these words together. And you can work on warming up your voice through the whole time, and at the end we'll sing it again at the end. So we'll all be prepared for that. So, O Little Town of Bethlehem, uh, 117, if everyone's there. Uh, I'll read through the words, you can follow along. O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive will receive him, still the dear child enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the glad, great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Uh, so there are very good words in, in all these hymns that we sing. Uh, but we're going to get to the words in a little bit. First, I want to give you a little bit of history of this hymn. And we're going to start with the history of the author. So if you look down there in the corner of the page there on your hymnal, you'll see that the author is Phillips Brooks. Uh, so I want to take a little look at his career here. Phillips Brooks was a well-known preacher in his time, uh, which would be the 1800s. Uh, his preaching style and writing ability enabled him to reach many people. He was born in 1835, and he went to and graduated from Harvard and also a seminary school. Uh, after graduating, he served as the pastor of a church in Philadelphia for 10 years. And then after that, he was the pastor of Trinity Church in Boston for right around 20 years. Uh, he preached with a forceful evangelical style of preaching, probably a style that would... Uh, upset some people today in the world we live in today. 
Uh, but he was also uh, supposedly a fast talker. Uh, it was said that he would preach at about 250 words per minute. Uh, now, if you don't know how fast that is, uh, I've timed myself and figured this out in writing all these messages over this uh, couple years. I preach at about 100 words per minute. So he's about two and a half times faster of a speaker than I am. So uh, I, I would have to really be paying attention <laughs> if, if I was listening to him preach. Uh, in the lifetime of Phillips Brooks, there was a growing movement of Unitarianism. Uh, this is a religion that is has flawed doctrinal beliefs. Uh, the biggest being the belief that God is singular. Uh, they believe that Jesus is not God in the flesh and is not equal with God. Uh, we obviously know that that is not true. Jesus himself declares himself as God and equal with God. We know the verse in John 10:30. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. So really, Jesus' own words there give us all the proof we would ever need uh, just hearing the words of Jesus and seeing the words of Jesus. We know that Jesus cannot lie. We know that Jesus is nothing but truth. And Jesus says that uh, God the Father and himself, Jesus, are one. So Jesus says that he's equal with God. Uh, we also have John 1, one. In the beginning was the Word, and this is a capitalized word. It stands for Jesus, and it says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. Uh, and 1 John 5.7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And this is one place where you got to be careful what Bible you use because there are a lot of translations out there that take that last part out. They don't want you to believe that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. They, a lot of uh, versions don't believe in the triune God, the Trinity. So be careful with that. Uh, it, it doesn't get much clearer than that, at least to us. Uh, Jesus and God... Uh, are one. Jesus is God. This Unitarian movement is wrong on this point, but they also had other things uh, that they were that they believed that were wrong as well. They did not believe that uh, humans had a sin nature. They did not believe in the pre-existence of Jesus and the everlasting existence of Jesus. They believed when Jesus was born, that's when he was born, and when Jesus died, he died, and that was it. Uh, also, uh, they believe that the Bible is not perfect. Um, they claim that men wrote it on their own abilities, but we know the Bible says otherwise. We know the Bible says that these men wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. Uh, so they, that movement believes that the Bible has errors in it, and really it's their own beliefs that has the errors. Uh, so we know that all of that is false. Uh, but Phillips he preached strongly against those doctrines in, in his time there. Uh, he attempted to rightly divide the Word of God in his preaching, uh, but this was just one of the oppositions he faced in his time. Uh, he had a great heart for children and children's ministries. Uh, he would actually be often found playing with the children. Uh, you know, before and after church, when all the adults are talking and fellowshipping, he'd go and play with the kids, you know. So he just had a heart for kids. Uh, his death was sudden, and it affected many. Uh, there was one girl who missed her friend, Phillips, um, 
she, he probably must have played with her before and after church with all the other kids. And she asked uh, her mother about him after he was gone for a while and, and said, well, you know, where, where is he? And the girl's mother told him that he went to heaven. And her response was, oh, how happy the angels will be. Uh, she had kind of the right mindset there, something that's hard for us to grasp. We like to focus on our own loss in those moments. Uh, but she was thinking about how uh, heaven gained him. You know, So it's kind of a different way of thinking about it. Now let's look at uh, the history of Lewis Redner. Again, if you look down there in the corner of the hymnal, you'll see that the music was written by Lewis H. Redner. Uh, Lewis, and I only know a little bit about him in my research, but Lewis was a Sunday school superintendent and he was the organist in the Philadelphia church where Phillips Brooks uh, was pastoring. Lewis was known to be devoted to serving God in the Sunday school work and he was also known for his love for church music. Uh, Lewis uh, had an occupation that was in the real estate industry. That was his day job, you would say. And all during that time, while he was working his job, he continued serving God in music, uh, specifically playing the organ for over 20 years. Uh, Lewis was also very involved in local community projects, uh, homeless shelters and soup kitchens as well. Now I want to look at the actual history of the writing of A Little Town of Bethlehem. So Phillips Brooks took a trip to Jerusalem in the mid-1860s. He spent Christmas there that year, and he visited and worshipped in the Nativity Church on Christmas Eve there. Uh, This time was so special to him uh, that it stayed with him a long time. Those memories uh, were very strong for him for, for many years. And a few years after he went there, he wrote the words to O Little Town of Bethlehem. The words of this hymn about the place where Jesus was born, uh, these words were inspired by uh, Philip's being there in the place. And, and so that's how he came to these words. Uh, he actually wrote this song because he was putting together the music for the children's Christmas program, and he wanted a new song for the kids to sing in the program. So in 1868, with the strong memories of his visit to the birthplace of Jesus, Phillips wrote this song for the Sunday school kids to sing in the Christmas program. He then gave a copy of the words to his organist, which was Lewis Redner, and he asked him to come up with a tune for the Christmas carol. His goal was to find an easy tune uh, that the kids could learn quickly and sing in, in the uh, program there. Uh, Redner actually struggled for a long time to come up with the right tune. He worked on it for, for a long time, but he couldn't come up with the right tune. And he was running out of time. And it was actually the night before the Christmas program. Redner was asleep and he was awakened out of his sleep with this tune in his head. And he went to work right then and started composing this tune, uh, the O Little Town of Bethlehem, the tune here, uh, that we all know now. Uh, Redner always said that it was, this tune was a gift from heaven. And, and he actually wrote many other songs and tunes and, and other things for the Christmas programs over the years. Uh, but it was this one song that lasted through all those years. And, and I believe it's because God gave these words to Phillips Brooks. And God gave this tune uh, to Lewis Redner, and God preserved it so that we could sing these words for us now. 
So that's the history portion. Hopefully I didn't bore you too much. Uh, but I, I kind of like that. I find that stuff interesting. That's the history portion. So now we'll look at the scriptural meaning in this hymn. So uh, this song, as you probably noticed as we read through, this song is written as a story. Uh, it, it progresses as you read through it. Verse 1 starts off uh, before Jesus' birth and talks about the town of Bethlehem. Verse 2 gives the beginning of the birth of Jesus in, in a way of almost like you're watching, or the angels actually are watching Jesus come down from heaven as he descended to earth. Uh, verse 3 progresses with the birth of Jesus and how he's on earth and his purpose here. And verse 4 gives us uh, Jesus as the Savior and the only way to heaven and the only way to get remissions of sin. So this hymn is a wonderful song and it's also a wonderful story when we look at the words long enough to see the message of the story given. Uh, so we're going to go through each verse here. I'll read verse 1 again for us. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So this is the birthplace of Jesus, Bethlehem. And it's really, I think it's somewhat of a miracle itself that Bethlehem was chosen. Uh, Jesus, you know, his family didn't live in Bethlehem. Uh, there was other, you know, this tax had to be called. For them to even be there, there was uh, no other reason for them to be there uh, but for that tax that was called. Uh, Bethlehem's not really a big city. It wasn't, uh, you know, the, the capital. There, there was no reason for them to be there except for that tax. And I think it's kind of a miracle that Jesus would be in Bethlehem uh, that day. And, and, and Bethlehem itself isn't really anything uh, magnificent on its own, you know, just a little town there. Uh, so I think that part itself is a little bit of a miracle. Uh, as I mentioned a, a, a minute ago, uh, verse 1 of this hymn starts off in the moments before Jesus was born. Uh, in this town, on the night Jesus was born, there was a bunch of people there. The entire town was full, and every single spare room was full. Homes were packed full of extended family that all came to town so that they could pay their taxes as well, uh, which was ordered by Caesar Augustus. Uh, there would have been big groups of families and they would all be gathered uh, together in their houses and they would be showing off their kids and their babies. Uh, they'd be sitting around telling stories of all the things that happened since they last seen each other. Uh, so, you know, obviously this is before Facebook. So you couldn't just click on Facebook every 10 minutes and see what your family's up to. Uh, back then, you know, they probably rarely wrote letters. Uh, there was obviously no phone calling. So when you got together, you would tell them what you've been up to. And it would be uh, a time where you wouldn't just sit and stare at each other. You'd be talking about all the things that have gone on. And that's what was going on at this time. Uh, there'd be a lot of commotion, a lot of activity in the town. Uh, but this verse kind of paints a, a different picture for us. In this verse, we see a quiet scene. Uh, this is because even though there were big family reunions going on and all kinds of visitors and all kinds of different things and concerns going on, none of those people were there to see Jesus. Uh, all that commotion was not for Jesus' entrance into the world. The, the people's excitement there, their concerns that night, uh, w was on having fun with their family, uh, catching up with their family, and also the stress of having to pay your taxes, because we all know that's stressful. 
Uh, Jesus wasn't the center of attention that night, uh, at least for the majority of the people there. Uh, They couldn't be bothered to make room for Jesus to be born. Uh, So his mother and Joseph, they were sent out of town uh, to a stable, uh, obviously still in Bethlehem, but sent out of, you know, the, the downtown area, if you will, uh, to a stable that was in a field. It was away from all of the commotion. Uh, so how many people there were in that area and they were so close to the Messiah, but they just missed it? Uh, there, there were many there that missed it because they just weren't looking. Uh, maybe they didn't know their scripture. They didn't know that that was even the town that Jesus would be born in. Uh, they, they just missed it. They weren't looking. Some may have missed it because they were too busy enjoying other things. You know, the, the, the food that the family set out, they were probably all having a bunch of feasts uh, together and, and all the different things going on. They were just distracted or enjoying may, maybe other things, and they just missed it. Some missed it because they were stressed with the burdens of life, you know, the burden of having to pay your taxes and hoping that in those days you went and they told you how much to pay, you know. So it wasn't like you wrote up your own thing and, and you know, you couldn't trick the numbers or anything, you know. So it was basically you show up and they say how much you pay and, and you just hope that they didn't overdo it or if you brought enough with you kind of thing. Uh, so that would be very stressful. Uh, and so some may have missed it because of that stress. Uh, in the town there was noise, but it was not about baby Jesus. Uh, and out where Jesus was born, there was peace and there was quiet. There was a calmness in the land there. Uh, this first verse, we see a c- contrast between darkness and light as well. Uh, turn to John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So as dark as the world may get, and it can be the darkest of darks, uh, but you have Jesus, so you will have the light. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians 4, six. 2 Corinthians 4, six. Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, we're going to see here that Jesus brought the light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, Jesus Christ. Uh, light is commanded to shine through darkness. God did that very thing back in Genesis when he created light itself. Uh, Jesus then became our light. Uh, Jesus said when he was here that he was the light of the earth. And Jesus also said in Matthew 5.14, he says, Ye are the light of the world. Now this is in reference, it's the passage where he says we're also the salt of the earth. Uh, We are to shine the light of Jesus. Uh, that G, that light is in us. If we've accepted Jesus into our life, that light is in us. And we're supposed to shine that light into the darkness uh, that is the world. And even though the world is getting darker and darker, we don't have to get discouraged because the darker the world gets, the brighter the light that is in us will shine. Uh, this verse also ends with the hope uh, that was in Jesus' coming. 
Uh, many did look for Jesus' birth and, and Jesus' coming. And, and we know when the uh, wise man went before the king, that he, the king was asking them, what does the scripture say about where Jesus was born? And they knew, they could tell the king, uh, says that he'd be born over in Bethlehem and, and the star and everything. And so they knew the scriptures. Uh, some people knew. Some people were looking for and hoping for the coming of Jesus. And the verse uh, here in the song also says that there was fear in Jesus' coming. And that all collided in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. Uh, now let's move on to verse 2. Uh, the song says, For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. Uh, this verse starts off with Jesus being born of Mary. Now, I'm thankful and very glad that Mary was willing to accept this calling of being the mother of Jesus. Uh, God didn't force her to do it, didn't make her do it. She could have tried to reject the calling. She could have tried to run from it. Uh, she could have come up with millions of excuses on why it couldn't work out, uh, but she didn't. She just simply says in Luke one thirty-eight, she says, Be it unto me according to thy word. She accepts it. She accepted the calling of God on her life. And many are blessed because of her willingness to obey and to serve God. She had a heart that was willing to serve God no matter what the cost was to her. Uh, we also see in this verse the idea of angels watching over Jesus. Uh, we know that this can be true from a few verses in the Bible. So uh, if you could turn to Matthew 26, 52. Matthew 26, 52. Take a look here at uh, some information about angels watching over Jesus. It says in Matthew 26:52, Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. I like this. Uh, we'll get to the next verse in a second, but I, I like this passage. Uh, one of my favorite passages with Peter. Um, not really sure why. It's, it doesn't uh, have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, scriptural basis there, but uh, I just kind of like that Peter was willing to defend Jesus at all costs. There was all those guards around, and Peter was the only one to stand up and to try to uh, stand up for Jesus. And he takes that sword and he just whacks off, uh, I think it was Malchus's ear. And I just think that's kind of cool, a little action scene there, you know, in the Bible. And uh, I like it because uh, if you read through all the, the Gospels on this, uh, you'll see that Jesus just simply leans over, picks up the ear off the ground, and, and just puts it on the guy's head. He just puts it back on and it's healed. And he tells Peter, you know, hey, we don't need to do this. It's okay. And, and Jesus knew what was coming and he, he knew why he had to be there. I just like Peter. Uh, he had a lot of ambition there. I don't know if his aim was terrible or, or what, if he was just trying to set a, a tone there, I'll cut all your ears off or something. I don't know. But uh, I just kind of like this passage. Uh, but looking at the next verse, 53, it says, Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. Uh, Jesus takes the opportunity to tell uh, Peter that we don't need to fight. Everything's going to happen how it's supposed to happen. And uh, But he takes uh, the opportunity also to say that there are angels uh, watching over Jesus. 
you know, Judas was there and betrayed him, and the guards came to arrest Jesus. Uh, and again, Peter uh, takes the sword and cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus says that defending him wasn't necessary. And, and we know that Jesus knew what he was going to do next, but uh, to give Peter proof that he didn't even need defending, uh, Jesus says that there were 12,000 angels watching him. And he could have called them down and uh, could have uh, helped him if Jesus would have wanted to do so. Uh, we also have this verse in uh, Matthew 4:11. It says, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now this is uh, after Satan tempted Jesus. Uh, we're told very clearly that angels here are at the call of Jesus. And in this case, not only were they watching Jesus and they were ready to help Jesus, uh, but this time they actually came down and ministered to Jesus. Uh, also, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, before he was arrested, he had help from an angel, Luke twenty-two forty-three, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Uh, again, an angel comes to Jesus' help, and his angels must have been uh, in heaven watching and waiting for their time uh, to help. Uh, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to take a look at the moments when Jesus was born. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tiding of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So we see here that an angel comes to the shepherds and tells them all about the birth of Jesus. And then a multitude of heavenly hosts join the angel. Uh, I just imagine all the Angels in heaven looking down from heaven and watching the Savior, watching God, the Son, be born as a baby. Uh, you can imagine hearing the heavenly choir singing praises to God about baby Jesus being born on earth. It would be such a wonderful moment to see and, and, and to hear. Uh, we also see uh, the peace that Jesus brings with him to earth, a peace between God and man that only can be obtained through Jesus. And this actually brings us right into verse 3 of our hymn. Uh, so looking at verse 3, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Now, what a wonderful gift that God gave all of us. Uh, Jesus is the most precious gift ever given. Jesus is the best gift and, and the only gift we will ever need. Uh, when Mary wrapped baby Jesus up, she was wrapping God's gift to all of us. Uh, Jesus was a blessing from God to us. Uh, we have in this verse also a phrase, No ear may hear his coming. 
Now, we talked in the beginning uh, about uh, Bethlehem and how mankind and the people that were there, they were too busy uh, to be bothered with Jesus coming. Uh, they missed it. They, they blew it, in my opinion. Uh, those people in Bethlehem that night were so close, but they missed it. Some were probably within just a few minutes of a walk over to where Jesus was born, but they just completely missed it. Could you imagine being that close to the Savior on that magical night and you missed it? Uh, there are people that are uh, close to Jesus today. Uh, pe- people that are close to Jesus, but they're missing it. These people can be in church this morning. Uh, maybe not specifically this church, but there are people that go to church and they're so close to Jesus, but they miss it. Uh, there are people that have never personally accepted Him as their Savior. They may know of Jesus. They may believe uh, God's up in heaven, but they've never personally accepted Jesus. They're so close, uh, but they're missing it. There are also people that we walk by that need Jesus. And they're so close to Jesus through us. And we just keep on walking. And we don't stop. We don't speak up. We don't say anything. And they miss it because we keep on walking. This third verse ends with Jesus entering into sinners to save them. As sinful as the world is, and no matter how much sin a person does, if they are willing to receive Jesus, then Jesus will enter in. Jesus is waiting for everyone to reach out to Him. He wants everyone. He's not willing that any should perish. Uh, He is waiting uh, to be the Savior of everyone. Uh, this last verse of this hymn continues with the topic of being the Savior, which brings us into the, the last verse here, verse 4. It says, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. We see the fact that Jesus is holy. Jesus is the only holy one. Uh, when Peter was speaking in Solomon's porch, he talks about Jesus and how he was rejected by his own people. Go ahead and look at Acts chapter 3, verse 14. This is when Peter is speaking in Solomon's porch. As in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, it says, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. We know that when Jesus was on trial, uh, there was a man that was already convicted, already put in the prison there uh, by the name of Barabbas. And he was uh, supposed to be a murderer. And the people there, they were chanting Barabbas' name. They wanted Barabbas. They had the choice between Jesus, the Holy One, and, and a murderer. And they're chanting for this murderer. Uh, that Jesus is the Holy One. And, and they just missed it. They, they didn't want Jesus. They rejected Jesus. Jesus is the Holy One, though. Peter here gives Jesus the title Holy One. Uh, Jesus is holy. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is clean. Jesus is morally right. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is the Holy One. This verse uh, gives us a clear picture of salvation that only Jesus can give us. Only Jesus, which was holy, only Jesus can save you from your sin. 
we see in this last verse that if you accept Jesus, he will abide in you. How amazing really is that? Uh, that Jesus is abiding with us. Each and every one of us that have accepted Jesus in our life, Jesus is with you throughout your entire life. How amazing is that? This, the Son of God, the, the Holy One, uh, can save you from your sins, and then you can literally live with Jesus every moment of your life after. That, that's just amazing. Uh, John 15, 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. That's Jesus talking. Jesus wants to abide in us. He wants us to abide in Him. Jesus wants each and every one of us to be with Him. And, and all those people out there uh, that are driving by, that aren't concerned about God today, Jesus desires them as well. Jesus wants to abide in, in every single one of our lives. Uh, if we accept Jesus, we can live with Jesus. One thing about Jesus abiding with us, though, uh, when speaking about the requirement of needing to be clean and separate from sin and wickedness, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 15, uh, he says, And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Uh, now, concord here means harmony. It's a, it's a connection. It's a bringing together. And Belial is in place there for, for evilness, wickedness, sin, everything that Satan stands for. Uh, this verse tells us that Jesus, who is perfect, Jesus, who is holy, will have nothing to do with that kind of wickedness and sin. Uh, we need to live a clean life, a right life, so we don't push Jesus away. Uh, we're talking about Jesus this morning, but the Bible also warns us about grieving the Holy Spirit with our sins. Uh, if we want to live a life led by the Holy Spirit, if we want to live close to Jesus, then we need to make sure we live a clean life. Now, we're not talking about losing salvation, uh, losing the ability to go to heaven. That is uh, secure, not secure by us. It's secured by God. And, and so we cannot lose that. But we can lose our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with God and our, lose our ability to be led by the Holy Spirit if we junk our life up with sin. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. It, it will happen. We will sin at some point. But when we do, we need to hit the altar. We need to make it right with God so that we can live with Jesus, close to Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus again. All right, so we're going to sing this song here.